are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. Our reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Hey, JC, thank you for reading to us this Sunday morning. Well, it is the first Sunday of the new year, and this is typically the Sunday where we would answer the question, why the why? The Sunday when we tell the story of the YMCA and kind of talk about why we've made the YMCA our home as a church community. But in this strange season where we're not even at the Y right now for worship, the timing just felt off. And so what I thought we'd do is save that message really for later in the year. Actually, October 10th, Sunday, October 10th is going to be the occasion for the bicentennial of George Williams' birthday. George Williams was the founder of the YMCA. And so we're going to celebrate and mark that occasion at that time of the year. For this first Sunday of the year, what we ended up doing was bumping what we usually do the second Sunday of January. And that is where we remind ourselves of the identity and purpose of who we are as the Y Church. And each year, just as we do with Why the Why Sunday, it's not the same from year to year. We tell a little bit different. We might feature part of our own short story, our history. Sometimes we feature our mission. And this year, I wanted to take a little bit of a different approach. And I want to start by sharing with you some fun math. Yes, fun and math go together, right? Some fun math that I did about our worship services this past year and some interesting and perhaps sobering stat lines about what worship looked like for the Y Church. So we had 11 normal Sunday worship services to start off the year in 2020. 11 normal services. And then from there on out, things got a little crazy. And we have met ever since March 22nd in various creative ways. Now, later in the year, we did get back to the Y in the gym for some Saturday services. We had six Saturday afternoon services for a stretch there. At the Y in 2020, we had 11 Sundays to start the year and six Saturdays this fall. But then listen to this. Here's where it starts to get really interesting. In 2020, we had 15 weeks of outdoor worship services, 15 weeks. And then get this, we have had... 20 weeks of online only worship services, 20 weeks where we just met like this through a screen. Now, before we would bemoan that fact too much, I do want to share with you, there is a tremendous upside to this. 
first of all, just recognizing, you know, it's not ideal, but the technology is here that through all of this, we have been able to stay connected to each other. And that is really a gift. The other part of this upside is we've been able to reach people for the first time through our online services. So some of you who are watching right now, we're so thankful that you have become connected to the Y Church, especially during this difficult time. And then lastly, just looking ahead, we have great hope for this new year that once again, we are going to be able to meet together in person and eventually even be done with things like face masks and social distancing and excessive hand sanitizer. There will be times when we can shake hands again and serve communion and give high fives and pray over people and have breakfast. Yes, have breakfast once again in the gym at the Y when we'll be back at our ministry hub in our home at the Elk River YMCA. So we're still in this tough stretch a little bit longer, but the Lord has been so good to us as we look back on the year that's passed. And really the mission of the church has not been diminished during this time. There is something foundational about the identity of the church that allows it to flourish in just about any circumstance. And that's what I'd like to talk with you about today. The core values, not just of the Y Church, but really of any biblically anchored church in the world. But before we get there, I do want us to dip into Ephesians 1 as our starting point in getting there. I just can't imagine speaking topically on something like our core values without first and always finding our footing in God's word. And as I thought about this Sunday, I was drawn to Ephesians and eventually to these verses from chapter one. I've been reading Ephesians just in my own devotional reading time sometime last month. It was actually around the Sunday where we talked about the theme of division. And in ways that only God can do, he had me in the book of Ephesians, just in my own personal Bible reading. And I thought that was so interesting because of all the books of the New Testament, probably the number one book on unity in the church is Ephesians. So here was division and unity side by side for me during that week. And then this past week, I had a couple days where I was away on a solitude retreat at a nearby place called Pachum in Terrace, which is Latin for peace on earth. Pachum in Terrace is just north of St. Francis, so not too far away from us. And I just cannot recommend to you enough this place or this idea of a solitude retreat. This is something that's for all of us. This is not just like a weird pastor thing. I want to want to point that out. But the practice of solitude biblically is one of the ways that God grows our relationship with him and strengthens our faith. After the Christmas rush and before the new year began, I was in this little hermitage in the woods. There I was for 48 hours, and I was thinking about the Sunday for part of that time and where the Lord would lead us in scripture. And I came back to these words from Ephesians. And really what I want to offer you today is my prayer for the Y Church. And it's an invitation for you to make that our prayer for the Y Church in this new year. The Apostle Paul has this three-part prayer for the Ephesians there in chapter one. 
And it just so captures what I feel and what I would pray for as we follow Jesus into this new year. So let's start there with this prayer. And then we're going to draw the connection to our core values that really make up the identity of who we are as a church. But first, Ephesians 1 verse 15, that's where we're going to start. The first thing that Paul prays for for the Ephesians is not actually something for them. It's a prayer of thanksgiving because of them. So look at verse 15 and what it says. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, Paul is in prison in Rome as he writes this. The city of Ephesus is a long ways away, Asia Minor, a place that we now call Turkey, the country of Turkey. And Paul writes from a distance and he says, I've been hearing about your faith in Jesus and your love for God's people. And if I can draw some comparison here, I feel the same way about you. This past year, I feel like I have been able to see your faith in Christ and your love for one another in such compelling and powerful ways. I can't tell you the number of times this year, this past year, when I have called somebody like a pastoral care phone call to check in on somebody, and then they're telling me about how they've been calling this person or that person from church, checking in on them. It's just been a beautiful thing. You know, how many pastors does the Y Church have? I find that, frankly, a difficult question to answer because to me, there's so many days when it feels like we have dozens and dozens of pastors who are serving. That pastoral care is not an assigned duty in one person's job description, but it is being lived out by the believers across the Y Church community. And I want to thank you for loving one another so well this year, even and especially at a distance. And of course, we know that love doesn't exist on its own just because we like being nice to each other or something like that. But this is an outflow of our relationship with Jesus. Paul says it's your faith and your love. We've had people reading the Bible regularly for the first time this year, completing Project 51. We've had Y groups who have been meeting via Zoom or conference calls with or without a set curriculum, sometimes just to discuss the scripture and the sermon from that Sunday. A third example, we have seen a tremendous spirit of generosity this year, putting the words of Jesus into practice and pressing in to know him more. Paul says, I just cannot stop giving thanks for you. And when he says that, he's not meaning like literally 24-7, but what he's talking about is every single day he is thanking God for the Ephesian believers. In Paul's time, they had three set times of prayer in Jewish culture. So morning, noon, and evening. And frankly, Paul is probably saying in the in-between times too, he has been thanking God for the faith and love of the Ephesians. And then this three-part prayer has two prayer requests that follow. First, he says in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
Paul has two prayer requests for the Ephesians. And the first one is that the Holy Spirit would give them wisdom and revelation. Wisdom, meaning that they would know God's will, the things that God desires, and revelation, meaning to learn his purposes in Christ. I wonder on a corporate country kind of level, you know, what would our nation look like if across this land people were seeking the wisdom and revelation that comes from God? I mean, it's almost too big a thought to even imagine. And it's painful also to recognize the humanistic idol that grips so much of our culture. But you know where the culture gets to be different inside of our country is the church. The city of Ephesus, we know, was really kind of a mess, but the church in Ephesus got to be a bright light of hope and truth in dark surroundings. So I pray for us that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation And ultimately, it's for this purpose, so that we can get to know God better. That's what Paul says. And isn't that what this is all about? Isn't that our biggest hope for 2021? Just to know God better. It's the best thing on earth. Secondly, Paul's other prayer request is going to come then in verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, there's going to be a purpose statement here, too, that follows But let's just stop here and talk about what he means, the eyes of the heart. It's an Old Testament term, really, that Paul is picking up here. The idea is that the heart is more than just something that feels or that pumps blood, but the heart sees. The heart has some kind of spiritual vision. Listen to how David draws the connection in Psalm 19. He says, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. You know, this is something I think our students understand, you know, the kind of pressure that exists out there that sometimes students, your friends might feel like the Bible just wants to spoil your fun. You know, why do you have to take this old stuff so seriously? Why does it matter what music you listen to or what shows you watch or what words you use? Like there's something inherently oppressive about being a Christian. But the Bible says, in fact, it's actually the reverse of that. It's the other way around. So that the more unfettered you live, the more enslaved you actually are to your own desires. And the more that you live by biblical principles, the freer you are to fully enjoy life. David says, The commands of God aren't stifling. No, they're radiant, giving joy to the heart and light to the eyes. And Paul is echoing that perspective when he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that they would be illumined like a lantern in the dark, that the dimness would fade and that you would be able to see your way in the darkness. And then there's the intent that follows in the second half of the verse. Paul says, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, Paul had a massive vocabulary, 
And all of that sounds amazing, but I read that and I think, yes, and what on earth does it mean? So let's simplify it a little bit. He's talking about three things, hope, our inheritance, and God's power. And said another way, he's talking about the assurance of your salvation, all of what God has stored up for you in heaven, and that only God's power can get you there. One of the questions that I have asked our high school students sometimes in the past has been this. What does the gospel mean for your life now and for when you die? What does the gospel mean for your life now and for when you die? There's no script for exactly how you have to answer that kind of question. They can choose their own words and ways to describe it. But one of the things that we're looking to root out and correct, lovingly correct, if it's there, is this. An answer that would go something like, well, I guess it means that I'm going to try and live a good life and do the best I can. And hopefully that's enough. And I get to go to heaven when I die. That is not the gospel. That is not what Jesus went to the cross for. But no, look how Paul puts it. He says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Listen to this. So you can be 100% sure of your salvation, including all the blessings of heaven, and that it's only the power of God that can do these things. That's grace. That's the gospel. And so in summary, this is also my prayer for each one of you and for us together as a church family, giving thanks to God for your faith and love, asking him for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and that the eyes of our hearts would be able to see. And that is a prayer, by the way, that can be fulfilled whether we are online for worship or meeting outside or we're gathered together in the gym. You know, the why has had to ask itself some really fundamental questions this year about what the YMCA actually is. What is the why if you can't go there to get in a workout or to swim or to shoot hoops? YMCAs all across the country have been grappling with these kinds of questions this year. But the church, by being a body of believers and not primarily a building, has been protected from that same kind of identity crisis. And yet the question that I want to ask us today is, can the church still lose its identity? Would that be possible for us? Well, yes, it would be possible. The church can lose its identity. And if so, well, just like the why is having to ask, what is our identity? How do we define it? What makes a church a church to begin with? And the answer to that question really is found in our values. Our values are the things that give us our identity. So if we were to change our values or we were to remove even just one of them, we would be changing the very identity of who we are. Let's use another example, McDonald's. McDonald's as a business, the first item on their list of values is to serve. It says, we put our customers and people first. Now, if McDonald's decided to remove that value, they would be changing the nature of their organization. So instead of people coming first, well, then something else would come first. Something like 
profit margins or shareholders. So to make sure that they remember who they are, they have serving as one of their values. They are a customer service organization. Now let's apply this to the church. Our organizational identity also comes from our values, but our values don't come from ourselves. They come from the Bible. And what I want to share with you in the last few minutes of our time today are the seven values of the white church. You maybe have never seen them before, never thought about them very much, but here they are. And and the reason that they are so important is because if we were to change one of these things or to remove even just one of them, then we would not be functioning anymore as a biblically based church. When does a church stop being a church? When it loses one of these values. So number one, value number one on our list is worship. We worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now in our constitution and on our website, we list about four scripture verses after each one of our seven values. And I'm not going to cite those here or read them, but I do want to emphasize again that our values come from scripture itself. And the first one is worship. Number two, I just said it, is scripture. Our second value on the list is scripture. We hold to the Bible as the true and inspired word of God. Now, not every church says this. You know, you can find churches out there that will say just about whatever you would like them to say. And so it is so essential that you have this lens when discerning your church home. Going back to conversations I've had with our students over the years, when our seniors are graduating and moving away to college, I've shared with them from time to time, you've got to find a local church in your new home. Make that a priority. And I don't really care what denomination it is or what kind of music they play or if they meet in a gym in a YMCA, just find a church that teaches the Bible and then everything else will sort itself out. So that's our second one is scripture. Number three, gospel. The gospel is one of our values, that we are each rescued from sin and death by faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, so that we may love and serve God now and forever. If I ever start preaching something different than that, then please get me out of the pulpit or run from the hills if I won't. Number four, community. We'll move quickly through this list. We are a diverse people united together in Christ, enjoying meaningful relationships as a primary environment for faith formation. You know why we emphasize Y group so much? It's because of this. Because you can only get so far when you slip in and out of a seat on a Sunday morning or when you watch a screen. We've got to go deeper and find true community. And so we identify that as one of our values. Number five, this value is discipleship. We are on the lifelong journey of following Jesus and growing in our faith. It is not stagnant. One of the things that most impressed us about Josh in the interview process was his emphasis on discipleship for students and kids and adult leaders and for parents. It all flows from discipleship, which is really at the heart of Paul's prayer in Ephesians. Number six, second to last on the list, is evangelism. We share the good news of forgiveness and life in Christ. 
Now, we stoic Minnesotans are sometimes a little uncomfortable with this idea of evangelism. Sometimes we hide behind the sentiment of something like this. Maybe you've heard this quoted before. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And we hear that, we think, boy, yes, I'm off the hook. I just get to live it out. I don't have to actually say much about Jesus. But you know what? St. Francis, to whom this quote is attributed, he never said it. He never said it. And the Bible certainly doesn't say anything like this. So we are committed to share the good news of Jesus boldly, to learn how to do that, and to share it winsomely in our words and our deeds. Number seven, the last on our list of seven values is mission. We serve others locally and globally, giving of ourselves and our resources. You know, in the mysterious ways of God, he has made the little local church to be the most powerful force on earth. I'd rather be a church, frankly, with 50,000 bucks than an NGO with 50 million in the bank. I really would. And that's not to the church's credit. It's just the way that God works as his power is at work in and through us, that he has given his Holy Spirit to the church and has tied his eternal plans of salvation to the mission of the church. And it is one of the most exciting, wonderful things that you and I could ever be part of. So my brothers and sisters, the future is bright. It really is. So long as by God's grace, we live by these values, the future is very bright. And I just want you to know on this first Sunday of the year, how thankful I am for your faith and for your love. And that I'm praying, asking God for the spirit of wisdom and revelation for each of you, not just some kind of general prayer. And also that the eyes of our hearts would be able to see all that God has in store. I want to wish you a happy and blessed new year until that year comes when we are finally all home together, home with a capital H, and where every prayer that we have ever prayed finds its fulfillment in the presence of Christ. Amen. Well, on this first Sunday of the new year, what a joy to gather around the Lord's table and to receive communion together. Our very existence is wrapped up in the death and resurrection of Jesus. May his grace poured out on the cross make all the difference in your life today and in this entire year ahead. And we remember, as the words of scripture tell it, that it was on the very night he was betrayed that our Lord Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks for it. He broke it and gave it to his disciples to eat. And he said to them, this is my body given for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And so we do that today, 2,000 years later, in remembrance of him. The scriptures record that then after the meal, Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks for it and gave it to his disciples to drink. And he said to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this, drink of this, in remembrance of me. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, 
check us out online at thewhychurch.org.